0: Psalm 52 is a wonderful psalm, and we will examine it in just a few minutes. But before we do, I want you to understand the events that led to the writing of Psalm 52. Back in 1 Samuel, chapter number 21, David was a fugitive. Not because he had done anything wrong, because he had not done anything wrong. But he was a fugitive... From King Saul. King Saul had started out as a decent man, a humble man, and yet his heart was lifted up in pride, and instead of leading in humility, he was now leading out of arrogance and pride. And when David became a national hero for killing Goliath, all of a sudden Saul became filled with jealousy. Because someone else was was getting the the adoration and the affection of the people. And it grew and grew from just uh, David, I'm sorry, Saul didn't want David around to Saul was trying to kill David. It got out of hand until King Saul made David Israel's enemy number one. And so David was was a fugitive. And so for a good part of his life, as, as much as probably 10 years of his life, David is on the run. You think about that, 10 years. Uh, you live 10 years as a fugitive. I'm sure you don't even remember what it feels like to not live as a fugitive. And the Bible tells us quite a bit from about First Samuel 18, 19, all the way to the end of the book, for uh, chapter 31, Details many of the events that happens in David's life during this time. One of the things things that happens is David is running from Saul. In the very early stages before it's a well-known fact that David is a fugitive and that Saul counts him as an enemy, it's it's not really common knowledge yet. And David and this band of men that he didn't go out and recruit a band of men. They were just sort of drawn to David, men that had also gotten into trouble, men who also had uh, fallen on hard times, the Bible describes them. They're attracted to David. And so David, this group of people who have a heart for David is just sort of growing. And so David has a group of guys with him, and they're hungry. And so they come to a town called Nob, N-O-B. And in this town called Nob, there is a priest there. In fact, there's a lot of priests of Israel who live in the town of Nob. And David goes to one of those priests and, and uh, the, sort of the head guy here, and his name is Ahimelech. And David and his guys with him, they go to Ahimelech, and David says, uh, he said, man, I, I'm, we're traveling through. I got all these guys with me and we are worn out and we just need something to eat. And Ahimelech, he's not sure what to think of this. He he said, uh, he said, uh, well, I don't have anything here. And uh he said, well, he said, I got the 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 bread that is the show bread. And he said, we're 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 just putting new show bread out, and this is being pulled off and David said, oh, that'll do. He said, yeah, well, he said, there is a, there is a, a holiness about this bread. He said, um, have, have your guys been, you know, have they been out doing the town or anything? I mean, have they kept themselves? And uh, David said, we're just fresh out of the wilderness. He said, there's no place to get in trouble out there. He said, these, these guys have, have, uh, have been, you know, living straight for a while. And he said, "Okay." And he brings out the showbread, and these hungry men traveling with David, they they eat the showbread. And then David says, "Him like, you don't have any weapons here, do you?" And he said, "Well, it's funny you should ask." He said, "I I have one weapon." He said, "It's it's the very sword that you took off of Goliath." And I can only imagine. He pulls that sword out and puts it in David's hands. I can only imagine all these things that are rushing through David's head all of a sudden as he looks at that sword again, and David said, I'll take it. And Ahimelech's a little not too sure about all this, but okay. And just before David goes, he glances over in the corner, and he sees, you know, like an old Western, he sees that guy in the corner of the barroom there. He sees that guy sitting in the corner that he recognizes him, He knows he's trouble. He probably should do something about him. But for whatever reason, he just wants to get out of there and he doesn't. And David and his men take off. Well, it happens that guy's name is Doeg. That's quite a name. And uh, Doeg is a Edomite. Edomites were descendants of of, uh, Esau. And so this is, not, this is not an Israelite man, but he's in Israel, and he works for Saul. And uh, Doag had watched this whole thing, and Doag goes, and he goes back to Saul. And a while later, Saul's got his staff together. One of the things Saul does here, and Saul's a, he's an arrogant manipulator by this point, operating on, on rage and jealousy and pride. And he starts having a pity party. Now, one of the driving forces of Saul's pity parties was that his own son, Jonathan, had given his heart to David because David was God's man and Jonathan knew it. And so Saul has already lost the loyalty and the love of his own son. he, He still loves his father. He still follows his father. But he defends David whenever his father starts criticizing him. And so Saul's enraged by all this, and he doesn't bring up Jonathan here, but you can read throughout 1 Samuel, he's always angry at Jonathan because he says, don't you realize that by running with David, you are hurting your own future? Because uh, Saul knew that the crown had been taken from him and given to someone else, and Saul was smart enough to figure out that it was going to be David. And Saul thought he was going to outsmart God. It was God through Samuel who had said, Because of your rebellion, Saul, you're not, your, your legacy ends when you die. And it will be given to another. And Saul somehow thought he was, gonna, he was gonna over overrule God. We better understand we're never gonna overrule God. What God says is gonna come to pass, is gonna come to pass. So Saul's angry and bitter, and he's talking to his, a bunch of his men, and he says, don't any of you care about me? You know, guilt trip leadership, very weak, insecure leadership. Don't any of you care about me? Which one of you has is, is got the, the courage and the loyalty to tell me something about where David is? And guess who's in the room? Doeg. He said, well, king, I need to tell you about something that happened a while back. I was down in the town of Nob, and I saw something, and he tells Saul what happened. And Saul says, go and get Ahimelech. And the several men of Saul's goes down, and they get Ahimelech, and they bring him to Saul. And Saul tells the story to Ahimelech and says, is this true? And Ahimelech says, well, yes, sir. David works for you. I thought he was on an errand for the king. And because he was on an errand for the king, I gave him what he asked for. And Saul said, that's not true. You're a follower of David and you will die and your family will die. I mean, Saul has taken it. Way, way beyond just a little bit of petty jealousy. And Saul says, Kill the priest. And none of his men move. Saul said, You guys, death? Kill Ahimelech. The and they say, We will not lift our hand up against the priest of the Lord. <laughs> Saul probably said, uh, Hey! When I tell you to do something, you will do it. But he was wrong. We heard that this week. You will do what I say. And they said, no, we will not. And Saul all of a sudden realizes there's a man here that doesn't care anything about the priest of the Lord. It's Doeg. So he turns to Doeg and he says, kill the priest and his family and all the priests in Nob. In fact, I want you to wipe out. To town, And Doag does because he wants to score points for the king. He kills Ahimelech. The Bible says he kills 85 priests. And he kills every man, woman, boy, girl, and baby. And every animal in Nob. Doag does. The only person who escapes from Nob was Ahimelech's son also a priest, and his name was Abiathar. Abiathar gets free, and he runs. And he finds David. And he tells David what has happened. And David grieves. And he says, oh, ugh, that punk! I knew I should have done something about him. He thinks about Abiafar and his father Ahimelech and all the people who have died and all the blood that has been shed. And he addresses the people there and then David goes by himself and he gets gets with the Lord as he does many, many times in, in these events. And God gives to David these words. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. This is a helpful psalm when you have to deal with a punk like Doeg. I got to tell you, in my whole life, that God has always used the punk to uh, test my spirit. Uh, it's it it's I I can. Uh, I can deal with a lot of things, but it tests my spirit. You, you know, okay, when I was a kid, I was definitely not perfect I, I, by any stretch. But I was always the, the kid that was trying to keep the rules. And the punk just absolutely aggravated me. When I was a teenager, you know, I'm the one when, when the, uh, uh, you know, okay, yeah, I'd be the guy that would be called the, the yes man, whatever. Why? Because I was trying to keep the rules. I wasn't perfect. I broke the rules, but never because I was rebelling against them, just because I was stupid. But, uh, but, but I was not the one that when they made a rule, I said, all right, we're going to see how we can break that. The guy that was always trying to break the rule as soon as it was made, I couldn't stand that guy. Because he always ruined everything for everybody. How me understand, he, that guy always ruins everything for everybody. And I all oh, that guy has always irritated me. The guy that uh you know you, you work a job and and uh the whole you ever have a whole shift just paralyzed because this guy's late every day, and so you got to stand there and wait because because nothing if you ever worked on a uh, any kind of a line where everybody works together and you start the line up and it starts from, from you know whatever it is it starts at this end and everybody's got their job to do until it gets to this end and uh, so when you work on a line, the guy especially if he's at the beginning of the line uh he, Nobody moves until he gets there. And then he comes in, and then he, he, it's sort of, he finds a way somehow to blame everybody else. Punk. And boy, I tell you, of all, of all the people, it's always the punk that has just absolutely tested my Christian spirit. That's who Doag is. He's the punk. And so Psalm 52 is a psalm that will help you when you have to deal with a punk at work, at school, wherever it is. Psalm 52 is also helpful when someone you know is hurting because they did right. That's tough. I got to tell you, it's, it's not hard. And I've, I have visited uh, people in, in, in jails and prisons over the years a number of times. And I have to say, most of the time, that's not a particularly difficult visit. You know, getting in is the hardest part usually. But the reason it's not difficult is because usually they know why they're there. And so you encourage them and help them and, and, hey, you help to give them hope and show them your life's not over and so forth. But they know why. I tell you what's the hard visit is the family whose daughter was killed by a drunk driver. That's... That's next to impossible. Because you just sit there, what, what, do you, what would you say? <laughs> the person who has done absolutely nothing wrong and yet here they are grieving and their life has changed forever. What do you say? There's not much you can say. And by the way, it's almost always better to say nothing except I love you and I'm praying for you. You don't try to rationalize. You don't try to say, well, when you think about it, no, no, no. Uh-uh. You just love them. And this psalm is not a bad psalm to consider. I don't mean necessarily that you should read it to them, but it's not a bad psalm to consider when you're trying to help somebody in that kind of situation. I'll tell you what's very difficult is when people are wrapped up in God's cause, and it seems like as a result of being wrapped up in God's cause, they have faced a hardship or or a tragedy. And that's, that's where David is. Ahimelech in the town of Nob has been wiped out because they helped David. And now David's got to talk to, his, to the man's son. And I'm sure it's, you want to say, I'm sorry, but on one hand you go, I know I did the right thing. I know I did the right thing. And we know David did the right thing because Jesus commended him for it in the New Testament. I know I did the right thing, but now an entire town has been slaughtered because, of, because I approached Ahimelech. When you're in any of these circumstances, why boastest thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. I want to bring some things to your attention just quickly, just a few minutes, and we'll be finished. I want you to notice, first of all, God's goodness never takes a time out. We all know that the goodness of God endureth forever, but that's not what this verse says. This verse says the goodness of God endureth continually. It never takes a break. I wouldn't be surprised if after God gave this verse to David, he went back to Abiathar and said, uh, I, "I don't know how to. I don't know what to tell you about what happened to your dad, but I can tell you this: God's goodness was not taking a day off when this happened. God knows all about it. Sometimes the only comfort I can give to folks is God knows all about this, and I can, you know, a lot of times I'll say that, and I sense they don't even really get what I'm saying." But think through this statement of the goodness of God endureth continually. Not forever. It does endure forever. And it says that in other places. But here it says continually. God's goodness did not take a time out when this happened. In just a couple of weeks, no, about a month, Ah, a month from today, month from today, my good friend Jesse Dominguez will be preaching for us. And a little... Less than two years ago, Jesse and his wife lost their 16-year-old daughter. You're all mostly familiar with that story. Very suddenly, it was not a long, drawn-out thing. There was no tragic accident, but it, it, she went into the hospital, and the hospital sent her home. But they brought her back later, a, a few hours later, and overnight that night, she just went off into eternity. I didn't try to tell Jesse this then. He knew it, and he knows it now even more so. God's goodness didn't take a time out when Megan went to heaven. That may be a small comfort when your heart is crushed, but it's a very important matter of faith that you remember that. What is your hardship? What, what is your tragedy? Now, look, if you don't trust God, well, that's not going to help you anyway. We're not going to turn you from a skeptic and an atheist into a, you know, man of strong faith in your time of, of hardship. But if you already trust God, it's very important to remember when you go through a tragedy, God's goodness has not taken a time out. And it didn't take a time out when things happen, God didn't turn his back and everything fell apart. And then he turned back and said, whoa, what ha- Whoa, what happened here? No. The goodness of God endureth continually. And by the way, he balances it out with the statement, the first statement. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? Who's he talking about there? He's talking about Doag, the punk. He's not saying mighty man as in, wow, you're such a mighty man. He's saying this very sarcastically. What are you boasting about, tough guy? What are you boasting about, hot shot? The goodness of God endureth continually. You know what he's saying there? God's people are going to win. You go ahead and rage and brag and boast. God's people. God's going to win. God's going to win. God's goodness never takes a time out. I want you to notice also this. God will always see to it that righteousness prevails. Let's read from verse two down. The tongue deviseth div- mischiefs like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. He's talking now about the. He's talking about Doeg. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Selah. Now he's talking to Doeg, and in some sense, I'm sure he's referring to Saul. But Doeg's the the. the villain here, and he's speaking to him as if by thinking about it, he's going to come to his sense and, and realize, oh, wow, I'm, I'm a wicked man. But you know what? The, the wicked never figure out that they're wicked. But it brings comfort to the people that do right to be reminded just who it is that's attacking you. Look at verse number four. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. Doag, punk. God shall likewise destroy thee forever, punk. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living, punk. Selah. (laughs) Sweet words from David. When when David says, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, the goodness of God endureth continually, he's reminding himself and reminding those with him that God's goodness will always see to it that righteousness prevails. God's goodness will always see to it that righteousness prevails. Listen, God's goodness is not a guarantee that bad things will not happen. Can I tell you right here and now, Christian bad things are not uh, the bad things are going to happen to you. Christian bad things are going to happen. But God's goodness will see to it that righteousness prevails. So the question is, are you on the side of righteousness? These folks that have bought into the the, uh, Joel Osteen's puppies and pancakes Christianity, they're in for a rude awakening. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is pain and difficulty and challenge and heartache. But by the way, all of life is pain and difficulty and challenge and heartache. The only difference is the Christian's pain and difficulty and challenge and heartache is with a purpose. God's taking you somewhere. Where is he taking you? He is taking you to righteousness. So God's goodness will always see to it that righteousness prevails, which leads us to the last part of the chapter, and our third point will be done. God's goodness never takes a time out. God's goodness will always see to it that righteousness prevails, and God's goodness will always be enjoyed by the people who choose to live by his goodness. Let's read the end of the chapter, verse 6. The righteous also shall see. Talking about, if you go back, he's talking about when when the wicked are destroyed. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Lo, no, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I... I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. David's not bragging on himself, but I am Mr. Wonderful. He's he's saying, I'm growing on God's side. David's not saying, God's with me because I'm great and you're a punk. He's saying, you are a punk, but I'm growing, green olive tree, I'm growing on God's side. If you want to know God's goodness at work in your life, you better make sure that you can honestly say, I am growing on God's. I'm growing. Yeah, I'm I'm not there. i got a long way to go. But I'm growing, and I'm growing on God's side. I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it, and I will wait on thy name for it is good before the saints, thy saints. Let me... Let me exercise your brain for a minute before we go. The goodness of God is not for everybody. I, I, don't, I, I like the thing, you know, and people have said it to me, and I'm sure they've said it to you. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. That's, that's awesome. But that's not for everybody. Oh, really? Okay. It's available for everybody. But it's not applicable to everybody. What? Okay, let me ask you a question. In this scenario, does Doeg, the punk, have a right to hope in God's goodness? This man that went in and killed Ahimelech and eighty-five priests and all the men, women, and boys and girls and babies, and the Bible's careful to say sucklings—that's talking about newborn babies—and and all the animals—is does Doeg have a you know? Is he have a right to? Hope in the goodness of of the Lord? No, he doesn't. Because the goodness of the Lord is for those who have chosen to be on the side of God's goodness. It's not for everybody. It's available to everybody, but it's not for everybody. It's for those who have chosen to be on the side of his goodness. Hey, does Saul have a right here to claim the goodness of God? No, he doesn't. Why? Because he's not on the side of God's goodness. Now, he might, Hey, I don't know, he might have been with his army and Hey guys, God is good. And they said, all the time. And they said, he's all the time. And they said, God is good. Maybe, I don't know. But just because he claimed he was on the side of God's goodness doesn't mean he was. Saul was not on the side of God's goodness. Not here, he wasn't. I believe there's a day when he was. But he wasn't here. He I'm not sure I get that. Okay, let me ask you a question. I want you to raise your hand on this one. If you know American history, how many of you think that Abraham Lincoln was, was a great man? Raise your hand. All right, that's, hey, unanimous. You know why I was unanimous? You can put your hand up. You know why I was unanimous? Because there's no Confederate sympathizers in this room. Well, not anymore. Uh, there's no Confederate sympathizers in this room. If Jefferson Davis was here, he would not have voted yes to Abraham Lincoln was a great why? Because he was not on the side of Abraham Lincoln's cause. There were some people that lived in his day that thought he was despicable as is evidenced by the fact that he wound up getting assassinated. How could anybody possibly think that Abraham Lincoln was not a great man because they were not on the side of Abraham Lincoln's cause? And the people who have no claim to God's goodness are the people who have chosen to not be on the side of his cause. Who of us thinks that the U.S. 1980 U.S. men's Olympic team was awesome?: Yeah, they were awesome. Well, that's because you're not Russian. <laughs> if, if you were, you know a resident of the USSR, you wouldn't you wouldn't vote for that. I'm saying to you. The goodness of God. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. Okay, but don't just say it. Make sure you're lining up with God's goodness. And lining up with God's goodness doesn't just mean everything's going to work out okay because God is good. Let me ask you another question to twist your brain. Where was God's goodness for Ahimelech? I'll answer it for you. But think about that. Things didn't work out okay for Ahimelech, did they? All right, so let me ask you a couple of questions just to make, you, make us all think. Was the Himelech living on the side of God's goodness? I don't know that for sure. I would assume he was, but I don't know that for sure. Okay? So if he was not, then things turned out like they were supposed to, I guess. He lost his life if he was and i'm going to assume that he was i think he was on the side of god's because he had chosen to be he had chosen to be on god the side of god's goodness then yes he lost his life but he lost his life in the process of righteousness because the ultimate result of this story is that david becomes the king and he brings the nation of israel to the strongest place of righteousness that it ever had known or ever would know. Israel was never stronger than it was under King David. And Ahimelech's death helped bring it to that place. So Ahimelech died in a righteous cause. Now you and I hopefully will never be called upon to die in a righteous cause. But I have, and I'm guessing many of you have, I know many of you have, and maybe all of us have, made great sacrifices in a, in a righteous cause, not of our own choosing. You say, man, this was a setback, and it's a setback because I'm trying to live for God. What's up with that? The goodness of God endureth continually. And if you're on the side of God's righteousness, then your sacrifice is taking you towards or taking God's cause in the right direction, and if you are on the side of God's goodness, that's okay with you. Did you hear what I said? If you're on the side of God's goodness, and God calls upon you to sacrifice for his righteous cause, it's okay with you. You're happy to do it. So what was the case? I don't know. I'm not going to assume that he was had a wicked heart. Do you know there were... There were people on the side of King Saul who were still on God's side, as is evidenced by the fact when Saul told them to kill the priest, they wouldn't do it because their hearts were right. But Ahimelech died under the hand of the goodness of God, and the cause of righteousness was served. I'm saying to you, there are no exceptions to the fact that the goodness of God endureth continually. If you're struggling today, if you're in pain today, if you have a burden today, I may not know exactly how to comfort you. I don't always know what to say. But I can tell you this, whatever you're in the middle of, rest assured, the goodness of God endureth continually. It's up to you to decide whether you're on the side of God's goodness or whether you oppose it. If you oppose it, then your pain's probably of your own making. If you're for it, your pain may have very well been approved of God, but it's going to take the cause of God's righteousness to a better place. And if you're on the side of God's goodness, you're okay with that. I hope that made sense to you today. I hope that answers some questions, clears some things up in your mind. I want to be on the side of God's goodness. I want to be in his camp. I want to be in his corner. I want... God uh, God's will and purpose and righteousness to be what prevails in this world father